0: Gonna say if you don't want to leave for kids club yet, you can hold on for just a second. I'll keep you. (laughs) Got a couple of kids. If they're already gone, that's fine. Well, as Lenny pointed out, we are in the Book of Psalms. Uh, We are walking through a summer Psalm series. Two weeks ago, we were in Psalm one. You can stay, Pierce. We were in Psalm one, then we were in Psalm sixteen. This morning, we'll be in Psalm twenty three. Next week, we'll be in Psalm forty seven, Psalm fifty one. Then Kip is going to be in Psalm 119, I believe. Um, and so we're going to stay with the book of Psalms. I've been starting them with some quotes of different men uh, and their kind of thoughts about the book of Psalms. This morning, I give you a quote by R.C. Sproul, and this is what he says. In the Psalms, we have a collection of 150 prayers that were inspired originally by the Holy Spirit. If you want to know how God is pleased in honor and honors in prayer, why not immerse yourself in the prayers that he himself has inspired, R.C. Sproul? The idea here is we walk into these Psalms that these are prayers that God wrote through the mouths of men to, to uplift and to encourage and to exhort the church. And as we've walked into this series, I've taken the, the habit of kind of beginning it by reading the psalm for our edification. But as I've walked into this one, I've had trouble remembering it. So I I want to invite some friends who can help us a little bit. I've got a couple of them. Come on. Can you guys remind me what Psalm 23 says? I don't remember. Psalm
1: 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness through his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil For you are with me. Your rod and your shadow, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And you might anoint my hand with oil. And my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
0: That is awesome. (laughs) Levi Lelm and Peyton Laird, you guys can go to Kids Club now if you want. And anyone else who wants to go that way, if you're between the ages of four to the second grade, Kids Club is for you. Um, And so you can run that direction. Well, thank you guys for for helping me out. Um, One of the greatnesses of these books is how these psalms are written in such a way that they just edify us. They're, they're tremendous to memorize. Uh, that's part of the reason I wanted to get these guys before us. is The memorization of psalms can actually help us in prayer. If for any point you ever get asked to pray publicly and you're just terrified, one of the best things you can do is just steal one from the Bible. Uh, they're there for you. Jesus prayed a couple of times. You can go to that. Paul's got a couple of them. And Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians. You can go to those. You also have the whole book of psalms you can pray through. And so this morning, we are walking into Psalm 23. Now, I I want to acknowledge, at least at first, that when you walk into a common passage, there's a little bit of difficulty in that, because you start to feel this pressure and tension as if there's some new thought or new feeling I'm supposed to put before you that some of you have never thought of before. But then there's that reality that some of you have loved Jesus longer than I've been alive. Uh, and so we're gonna wrestle with that a little bit, but we're gonna, we're gonna dig deep into Psalm 23, and I think we'll find it to be an, an edifying and encouraging experience. But one of the coolest notes, I think, of Psalm 23 is to realize how thoroughly it comes and just flows out of David's life. Da- David spent a number of years as a shepherd boy. And in a number of years as a king, and as we walk into the psalm, we'll see how his life experiences and what God did through him and around him, how that flows out in his understanding of God's care for him. So let's step into the 23rd psalm. As my friend so helpfully put it for us, The Lord is my shepherd. And as last week as we walked into Psalm 16, we put before us this idea that sometimes in the middle of difficult situations and circumstances, one of the boldest things you can make is a truth claim. If you could just put out before your situation, your circumstance, who God is in the middle of it, sometimes it puts everything in perspective. And this psalm can be helpful in all seasons. It could be for some of you, You're in a horrible, you're having a horrible day. You know, it's possible that for some of you, Father's Day is not a blessing. It might be a real challenge for some of you. And for, on that day, to be able to say the Lord is my shepherd is really helpful and encouraging. Some of you might be in a mountaintop, having an incredible moment. And to be reminded that the Lord is your shepherd can be that anchor that ties you to who you really are. It ties us to the truth. And it brings us back to Sproul's quote. And it brings it into the action when we pray the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. And David's saying so much more than it even says in English. For when David calls him the Lord, he uses the name Yahweh. It's the name God chose for himself. It's the name that God gave his covenant people. And when God gives you his name and when he looks down on his covenant people those that are rightly related to him. God says, this is what you should call me. It's my personal name. It's God bringing his people in close to have a personal relationship with him. To call him Yahweh is to acknowledge that he is your God and that you belong to him. The title alone says so much. And as David calls out to his God, His personal God, he uses a strong metaphor. He says, you're my shepherd. And this is a common picture of God in the scriptures. We find it throughout. Isaiah 40, Jesus is prophesied to be a shepherd. In John 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. In Hebrews 13, the author takes it to a whole other level, calling him the great shepherd. And Peter in 1 Peter 5 calls him the chief shepherd. So, though this isn't by nature a messianic psalm, we'd be remiss to not see Jesus absolutely throughout it. Because as these Hebrew people would have memorized this psalm and would have looked at God to be their shepherd, we look at God to be ours and how he shepherds us through the ministry of Jesus Christ. The Lord is our shepherd. And having said that, we've said plenty. In fact, I have a couple of friends who've preached multiple sermons using that as their only text. The Lord is my shepherd. You can unpack it for hours. But you have to start with this. If you're going to call God Yahweh, that's to make him personal. If you're going to call him your shepherd, that's to give him the authority to lead your life if you're going to call on the name of God, if you're going to claim him to be your Lord, if you're going to claim him to be your shepherd, you by necessity have to claim salvation in the name above all names, which is Jesus Christ. About this, Charles Spurgeon, a great English preacher, once wrote, no man has a right to consider himself the Lord's sheep, Unless his nature has been renewed. For the scriptural description of an unconverted man does not picture them as a sheep, but as a wolf and a goat. Friends, we can't claim promises that aren't ours. However, if we have called on Jesus Christ, we've claimed him as our Savior, we walk with him, then he indeed is our Lord Indeed, he is our shepherd, so this is true for us who call on his name. And as David writes, as he expresses himself in song, the Lord is my shepherd, he comes to a conclusion, and he says, I shall not want. Because of who God is, that leads David to a conclusion, I shall not want. And what does that mean? Does that mean that I I shouldn't want things that I can't have? Let me show you a fun picture. This is a 1977 Toyota FJ40. I've wanted one of those since I was 16. Having followed Jesus since about that time, have I ever gotten one? Nope. When we trust and we follow Jesus, we can't believe this lie by the way the world is putting out there before you over and over again. That trusting Jesus is going to bring you blessing, security, and financial bliss? This isn't even an expensive car. Creflo Dollar wants a $65 million plane. I just want a $2,000 1977 truck. There you go. It's my dream car. But that's not what God says. And in fact, that's not even what God desires for us. And that's the bigger, truer blessing in this. When David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he has something more in mind for you than material possessions. He has in mind for you that you'd find your satisfaction in the Lord. He has in mind for you that God would be sufficient for you, and that found in Jesus Christ, you would lack nothing. And then when he's your shepherd, you don't go without. And when he's your shepherd, you're not in need. We actually find Jesus teaches something similar in Matthew 6, 25 and following. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And all of these things will be added unto you. What Jesus teaches is in effect that if you trust God, you put his kingdom first. You make Jesus the thing you put your hope in, not the worldly possessions, that he'll make provision for you. Now I've had a couple of opportunities in my life to preach in the third world. And it's passages like this that give you struggle. If you stand in a third world village where people have no clean water and and people are barely wearing clothes and they're barely struggling to eat, it's interesting to take an American perspective and you realize how much we Americanize theology, how much we expect God's blessings in our lives to be financial. In fact, there are several internet memes that have run around talking about this. That when we consider ourselves blessed, just because we have nice houses, and just because we have cars, and just because we have the jobs we have and can afford the clothes that we have, we miss the reality of the actual blessings we have, which are in Christ. See, if you go to the third world and you stand in a Haitian village, you can meet people who are dressed far worse than you, who eat far worse than you, and you know what you find? Often you find people who are far happier than you. You find people who have more than you. Who who are not longing for the next thing. Why? Because in essence, they haven't bought into this consumer mentality that invades our culture, that just whacks our mind with, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And when David, who was the king who could have anything he wanted, starts to pray, says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It was in God he found his everything. And it led him away from wanting more and more and more because he found that only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus fills. So as he prays to this shepherd, acknowledging who he is, what does this look like? What does it mean that the Lord would be your shepherd? And inevitably, David looks back on the years he served as a shepherd boy and sees a tremendous parallel between how he tended sheep and how God tends him. David considers these different roles he played, these different tasks he filled in the lives of his sheep, and how God takes care of him. And he gives you four roles. In verse 2, he says this, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now initially, we think about that, and I, as a dad, on a day like today, think, hammock. Hey, I think about a nice, cozy nap and some really thick green grass on a nice, sunny day, relaxing and taking it in. And I think there might be some of that involved here, but when we think that through, we're not thinking like a sheep. Because if you were thinking like a sheep and you heard this idea that he makes you lie down in green pastures, you'd think buffet. You'd think all-you-can-eat oh, hill, and you'd see the provision of a shepherd in your life that he's led you to this place of bountiful provision for you. It, truly, it would be a feast. And as David is praying this through, as he's singing this out, he's acknowledging that who God is, is it's, he's his provision. That God takes them to this place where his provision is bountiful. This luscious green hill. He leads me beside still waters. And though that idea calms my heart in and of itself, again, you got to think like a sheep. A still water means that there's nothing in the water that's going to try to eat you. That's a good thing if you're a sheep. It means that God is taking you to this place where he's going to provide for you. He's going to care for you. He's going to keep you safe and he's going to meet your needs. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. What a great picture for a shepherd to care for his sheep. Daily this shepherd would watch over his sheep. He would know the conditions of all of his animals, and he would tend to them, and he would bind them up. And every night, he would look at him. he would find their wounds, and he would wrap them, and give them special attention. The same way that God our Father does for you. He brings these sheep restoration. He brings them healing, and he brings them peace. In the same way that he brings you provision, do you know that the great shepherd knows exactly where you are? He knows the condition you're in. He knows what you need. And he is at work today restoring you through Jesus Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd has provided for you. He's fed you. He's keeping you safe. He's bringing you restoration. And he's leading you. Because really, in the middle of all this provision, that's what the shepherd did. He took them to the places he needed to go so that they'd be well protected. So that they would be well fed. And you have to appreciate that some days this path was going to lead to a big grassy hill. There would be days where there was a, a hill buffet laid before you. But there would also be days, we know this because of the next verse. That sometimes the shepherd, the great shepherd is going to lead you through dangerous dry valleys through hard times, through seasons that just go on and on and on like they're never going to end. had the privilege of traveling to Israel at one point. And when you get to see an Israeli shepherd, it just opens your mind to some things. Because this would be the actual picture David had. Because those hills that we walked in were the same hills that David walked in. And you find that North Dakota would have been a way easier place to shepherd sheep than Israel. Because it's rocky, and, and it's dirty, and it's, there's not like big grass hills anywhere. You find sheep walking up and down rocky mountainsides looking for anything to eat. And the interesting picture of that is you, you, you see, and it's put before you, that for a shepherd to take care of his sheep, he's going to find a grassy spot here, he's going to tend to his sheep, and then he's going to have to take them probably a long road to meet their needs. He, he might take them through some hard places. We see that in this next verse. Where that becomes instructive for us is that sometimes we want to ask God Why? Why am I walking through this? Why am I going through this? This seems really hard. This seems really dry. I'm really thirsty. God, could you meet my need? And sometimes on that day, you need to be reminded that you're a sheep. That's why we titled this psalm a psalm for sheep. On on that day, you're a sheep. And just know that the good shepherd is standing before you. He's got his hand on your fluffy little mane, and he's taking you to a better place. Now, I don't know when you're going to get there, and I can't promise you that Happy Green Hill is going to come today, and it may not come tomorrow, and it may not come next month. It may be till he takes you to the great big grassy hill in the sky that he chooses to fully restore you. But somewhere in here, the sheep, who knew their shepherd's voice, trusted him. So that's got to be our hope. When the shepherd's leading us in paths, not bad paths, but paths of righteousness, we trust his voice. We say, I'm a sheep. You're the shepherd. Just take me where we're going. I trust you with this. Sure, we wouldn't choose it for ourselves. Nobody would. The sheep would sit on a hill and die. They're not that smart. We trust the shepherd. We trust his voice. And we follow him and we go where he goes. Do you know that the great shepherd is leading you? Do you trust his voice? because the end of this verse is instructive to us, because it actually says, he leads me in passive righteousness, and it doesn't say for your good. Boy, wouldn't that have been more comforting. He leads you to passive righteousness for his name's sake. So let's step into that. So as the shepherd is leading you and guiding you, he's actually doing it to protect his reputation. What does that mean? Well, if he's doing it for his reputation, then how he treats you, how he walks with you is really important. And if it's for his reputation, how he treats you, how he walks with you, how he tends you, how he meets your needs becomes really, really important for you to verbalize. Because it's about him. It's about his reputation, it's about his sake, and this is where you as a sheep gotta start looking around and saying, whoa, we got an awesome shepherd. Man, I don't know the life you're leading. I don't know what you're walking through today. I don't know what pain you're in the midst of. But I tell you, I got a great shepherd. This is that point where you, you can step into somebody else's life and say, Man, we're treated really well in this in this flock. And we'd love for you to come and be a part of it. This is that very opportunity that believers have that we get to brag about our God to a lost and unbelieving world that desperately needs hope. This is the point of testimonies. That that song we just sang, we will overcome, used to really drive me nuts. They would say, by the words of our testimonies. Like, why do I have anything to do with it? What does my testimony do at all? And the answer is, it edifies other people who are in similar situations. That it might just be that if I shared my testimony with you, I'm on the other end of a valley you're about to walk into, and so the reality that I might come out of that valley might be crazy encouraging to you. It might be really uplifting to you and it might be the thing that's going to allow you to cling to Jesus as you walk through that valley. Friends, we got to brag on God. we got to be encouraging each other in what he's done in our lives. And this is what we got to do with the people around us who don't know our shepherd. We've got to be bragging on him talking about how he takes care of us and how he meets our needs and how he walks us through things. Because as we've pointed out a million times, we're about to walk into verse four. Even though he guides you, even though he leads you, even though he provides for you and feeds you, he doesn't promise you bliss. Verse four, even though you will absolutely walk through hard times. Every last one of us will. And we do it because we get to brag on our Savior. We get to brag on our shepherd for how he carries us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know how much you've given thought to the valley of shadow of death. But spent a lot of time studying it this week. And This valley of the shadow of death is a Hebrew superlative construction. Wanted to sound smart. When a Hebrew superlative construction tells you that he's going for a superlative superlative. So when he says the valley of the shadow of death, he's trying to paint a picture of the deathiest shadow. The shadowiest shadow of shadows. The deepest, darkest place you can imagine. That's really what he's going for here. This extreme picture of bad. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even in this extreme place of bad. And it's interesting because this might actually place the psalm for us. It may be that David, when he pins this, is in a really hard place remembering God's sweet provisions in his life, reminding himself of that, and saying, even in this really bad place, or it could be that he just has perspective. And he knows, looking back over his life, that he's walked through good seasons and he's walked through hard seasons. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm not scared. I'm not worried. I'm not thinking about what's going to happen to me. And what's his comfort? God's presence, for you are with me. See, this is that point where God's sustenance, his sustaining power becomes so fulfilling that when even David goes through the darkest thing he can possibly imagine, he's not bothered by it because God's with him. God's presence has become so fulfilling and so sustaining that he says, even in the darkest place, I'm not scared. Because you are with me. One of the Bible verses that's carried me through the darkest nights I've had in my life is found in John 11. I was in a college Bible study in uh, 1998. My mom passed away my freshman year in college. And I was in a Bible study. This is the verse, and it's kind of strange, and it's kind of out of context. Uh, but I was in a Bible study, and I got asked to read part of John John 11. In John 11, when Jesus is about to heal Lazarus, he prays out loud for everyone to hear. And in verse 42, this is what Jesus says. He prays out loud and he says, thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. And being asked to, to pray that out, or to read that out loud in a group of people, as soon as I got into the middle of that verse, I started crying. And, and to this day, really, it, it makes me a little weepy. Thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. That this reality, even in the darkest places of my life, his presence is there. Even in the hardest places, he's there, his his presence is accessible. We can talk to them, and he, he hears us. And I think Jesus really desperately wanted these grieving people to know that. Thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hears me. That Christ is the provision I need. That he is sufficient. And David continues, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In 2006, I had the privilege of going to Africa on a mission trip. While we were there, I got to hang out with some Maasai warriors. If you've never seen a Maasai warrior, these are large uh, they're tall, skinny African men. Uh, typically, they've got a, a red cloth around them with a, uh, a, a plaid. That's the word I'm looking for. Kind of a plaid side that kind of shows what family they're in. Uh, they wear that in a string. That's pretty much all they've got. Now, sure, they've got the cell phone clipped to the string, um, but that's how they were. And, and when you meet a Maasai warrior, these guys are really fascinating to me because these guys are raising cattle in the African plains, Now, you meet these guys, and they've got 300 cattle in the African plains. Now, when I say African plains, I mean there's a lion right there, and then there's like 100 wildebeests, and then there's like a water buffalo, and then there's like 1.6 million wildebeests. And so when I'm standing here in this Messiah village, I'm looking and talking to this guy, and I'm going, okay, explain to me, you've got 300 cattle here, and there's 1.5 million wildebeests. While standing here, you never thought, what does he taste like? What about that guy? No, we just take care of our cattle. Okay, so you live in Africa. You're taking care of cattle. There's a lion literally right there. How do you do it? Like, do you got a gun? You know what this guy has to take care of his sheep in the middle of Africa? He has a stick. It's a walking stick. And he has a little staff. He keeps it tucked into a string next to his cell phone. And he, we went on a walk with this guy at one point. he uses a stick, and he uses it to walk along because you might slip. You might fall. And if he gets in danger, he pulls out this rod. And it looks like the hip socket or something. There's a big ball on it. And I go, well, what's that for? He so, said, well, when a lion comes. What do you mean when a lion comes? Because when a lion comes, you pull it out. You actually find that African lions are terrified of Maasai warriors. Because when a lion approaches a Maasai, Google it. It's am- amazingly fascinating. guy whips out large club, whacks lion right in the skull, cracks his skull, and kills him. See, this is what David is considering. We, we actually know David had that experience. In 1 Samuel 17, 31 through 37, David recounts for Saul that many times he killed bears and lions. So when you come to this place where he's not afraid that God is with him, his rod and staff comfort me, he has this very image laid out in his life where the shepherd would have a rod, a walking stick, So as he's leading his sheep along, if one of the sheep starts to struggle, he picks up his uses a stick and kind of leverages the sheep up the rock. So if you're struggling, know that God knows where you are. If you're struggling, know God wants to use his body, the church, to help leverage your life. He's trying to use his staff to comfort you, to help you walk in the, the places that you're at. And if you've got something terrifying ahead of you, know that your shepherd has a big staff. And when a bear or a lion or something comes to you to attack you, this is absolutely your safety. He whips it out and cracks him in the head. And you're safe. When, when David processes this, he, he's got to be taken back to these times as a shepherd boy. We killed bears and lions and he's comforted by it. And he sees God doing the same thing in his life. And it brings him comfort. God is with us. And he's carrying us. And he's our hope. And he's our everything. And having considered the work of the great shepherd in his own life. And no doubt being reminded over and over again of all the ways God had been faithful David actually changes the metaphor for a minute. He goes a different direction. He continues to tell us that this shepherd is no normal shepherd, but this shepherd is the king. And in verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And David hops from one metaphor he knew incredibly well of God being a shepherd to another metaphor he knew incredibly well of God being the king. See, just as David had walked with his sheep, David had thrown a lot of parties. And he knew how to honor a guy. So David starts putting this out there before the the Hebrew people and ultimately us And he's explaining how God has cared for him, how God has loved him, how God has met his need, how God has protected him. He comes to this last part and starts to realize what an honored guest of the king he really is. This is sweet. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That God wants to provide for you abundantly. Abundantly. You anoint my head with oil because you are extraordinarily precious to him. He honors you. My cup overflows. As David starts to walk through this, considering how God has taken care of him, as God has met his needs, how God has provided, how God has kept him safe, he realized what an honored guest of the king he is, And says, My cup overflows. Friends, I don't know where you're at and what God's taking you through right now. But stop for just a moment and reflect on who he is, on who his character, because this brought David to a place where his cup overflowed. He had more than he needed. Because of God's goodness and his grace. And he finishes in verse 6 having considered all God had done with him, saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As David processed all this, he saw how God had carried him and was able to forecast it forward. God will walk us through anything he has before us. It does not matter how dark, how deep that valley may be. It doesn't matter how hopeless it might seem, how dry it might look. God will carry us through it because he's good and because he's merciful. This word mercy is a Hebrew word has said. It's my favorite word in the Hebrew language. His ideas of a covenant-keeping God loving, a covenant-breaking people. So God's mercy, his kindness towards you, actually assumes you're going to blow it. So this isn't like, live rightly. If you follow all the rules, God will love you. Now this actually assumes you're going to fall short. David says, surely goodness and this mercy, God's love for me, even though I make mistakes, will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, as we walk through this this morning, you just have to see over and over as as David makes this truth claim, how it begs questions of us. Do we trust that the great shepherd will provide for us? Do we trust that the great shepherd is at work to bring us peace? Do we trust that the great shepherd is leading us? Do we trust that he can take us to dark places and still be with us? Do we trust that he's still with us now? Do we know how much he loves us and treasures us? And do we really believe his faithfulness shall never, ever, ever, ever ever end? God is good. And David recounts that in this psalm. He reminds reminds us of that in this psalm. And next week we'll be in Psalm 30 where he gives tremendous thanks for who God is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book of psalms. Father, that are songs, they're prayers written to you, written from you, written about you. And yet, Father, they're incredibly instructive to us that we might worship you for who you are, we might worship you for what you've done, regardless of our situation. Father, I pray as we walk through this series that we as a people would find tremendous freedom as we express ourselves to you, as David and Asaph and Moses and so many others did. Father, give us the freedom to express where we're at to you. And in the meantime, May we learn and be instructed by these bold truth claims that your servants put out before them that carried them through hard places. God, we love you so much. In Christ's name we pray, amen.